This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome to the September 20th edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. I'm Brian Trader, agronomist on the east side of the state of Indiana, joined as always by my co-host, Ben Jacob from Southern Indiana and Carl Joran from Western Indiana. Hello guys, how are you today? Good morning, Brian. Doing well. Happy to be here, Brian. Wish uh, wish our Boilermakers gave us a victory here last weekend, but uh, at least we're finally talking about uh, harvest and uh, also Purdue football after the event happens as opposed to before the event happens for a little uh, discourse and debrief, but I'll leave that for the rest of the podcast. All right. No problem at all, Carl. And uh, as you did mention, uh, we are continuing our series with uh, the, uh, I guess, the competitors of Purdue football. And uh, this week it is the Wisconsin Badgers. And so we are joined by a couple of uh, Badgers uh, today, Ryan Bates and Mike Gronsky, both agronomists from uh, Wisconsin. Uh, hello, guys. How are you today? Good, Brian. Good morning. Good. Excited to be on the podcast. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk about the Badgers and the Boilermakers here in a little bit, but uh, maybe just for the sake of conversation and uh, maybe to get guys kind of cued in on what's going on up north, I guess first, uh, Ryan, maybe introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background and give folks an idea of where you're at in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, Ryan Bates, uh, Field of Grandmas. Northwest, I live uh, by Eau Claire, so we're about an hour straight west of Minneapolis, St. Paul of Minnesota. So kind of cover Northwest Wisconsin, but been the groundmist now 11 years with Pioneer, uh, worked in the impact, the pre-commercial side of things, started up that program in 2010 out of Eau Claire. Um, went to University of Wisconsin River Falls for undergrad and got my master's degree actually at Penn State. So I am a nitty lion as well. Okay, wow. All right, and Mike, yourself, maybe an introduction and a little bit of uh, direction for us so we know what part of Wisconsin you cover. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. So uh, my name is Mike Gronsky. I've been with Pioneer now. It'll be seven years next month um, in the field agronomist role. And uh, my territory, I live right in the marsh field, which is in the center part of the state. Uh, we go all the way up to basically Lake Superior, uh, where we have 72-day corn, and we get into 114-day silage about an hour south of my house. So we see a little bit of everything in our geography. Uh, so it's definitely uh, always always entertaining, and it's always a lot of product to digest when you are, are in this particular area. Yep, sure. Well, guys, certainly in the state of Indiana, one of the things that we've talked about off and on throughout the podcast season, I guess you will, as we've as we've been going through the growing season, has been the variability in rainfall and just in the weather this year. Obviously, uh, the impact of the uh, wildfire, smoke, and haze. We've talked about that a number of times. Uh, Mike, maybe let's start with you. What was the season like for your growers? Uh, were you fighting the drought that we had here in Indiana, or uh, what were conditions like for you? So it's it's just been a wild ride, Brian. So we started out, you know, kind of we thought we were going to be very much behind schedule. Uh, the joke that Bates always has with me is that we're not quitters in North Central, and we typically end up planting corn in July. Was not the case this year. We actually dried up a little bit earlier, um, and we got a lot done in May. There was very little corn that dragged out into June. Um, probably the biggest challenge we saw out of the gate was just we had a lot of variable emergence this spring. 
Um, as growers started working ground, especially if they were running any type of primary tillage, the challenge we ran into is we were not able to make that back into a reasonable seed bed with moisture. So what we found is we were getting, you know, two thirds or three quarters of the crop, be it corn or soybeans to come out of the ground with some reasonable consistency. And the rest of it would come through two, three, four weeks later, depending upon when we got rain, because it just <clears throat> laid there in dry soil. So we kind of started out with some variability for the guys that weren't able to to take care of that. Now, as far as the impact of the drought and what we're seeing across the area, it, it's so variable. If you get, you know, 10 minutes northwest of me, you know, we have a pretty reasonable corn crop there. Um, you know, we've got some rain in some of these pockets, especially as we head further north in my territory. There's some guys that I don't think will break farm records, but we will achieve some pretty reasonable yields. We actually... We didn't have a lot of, as we've got some timely rains, pollination was good. Um, the one thing that we'll give up on, I'm expecting smaller kernels, lighter test weights. You know, we've lacked the rain everywhere for most of my area now. Uh, but boy, you get south of me and it's like you flipped a switch. I mean, you drive 10, 15 minutes south and it, it's a complete polar opposite. I mean, we have some pretty discouraging corn yields, you know, and, the, and that yield limitation already started back at pollination. And Soybeans, those will be the biggest disappointment of the year for sure. Um, even early plant, late plant, seed size is pretty awful everywhere we look at it. You know, and there's just a lot of these beans are starting to turn now. We haven't gotten much for rain lately. There's really very, if, if we even get some in the forecast coming up here, a lot of it's too little too late at this point for us. Sure. Ryan, anything different that you're seeing or experiencing uh, in your geography? No, like, um, you know, so my territory is straight uh, west of Mike's, we're seeing a lot of the same thing. Um, impact of hail, had more hail than we typically have in areas, so there's definitely a hit on that, uh, as well as I have more irrigation. So the irrigator's been running hard, so I think that'll be a decent crop, but uh, irrigation's never as good as uh, natural water, natural rainfall. So, um, and we've, we've increased our management under irrigation, so hopefully it doesn't disappoint some of those guys, but a lot of the same things he uh, might cover is what we're seeing here in Northwest. And this corn silage is just coming off. You know, we got 20 points of moisture swings in our corn soil's moisture within a field. So um, that kind of gives you the variability that we're going to see with yep. corn grain and um, soybeans are going to be with month now without rain uh, for some of these guys. There's going to be some BBs out there and in there and yields are going to be disappointing on beans. Yeah. So guys, were you dry enough where disease either in corn or soybeans was not much of a factor? You just couldn't complete that disease triangle or what did that look like for you? So very interesting, I would say on the corn front, disease as a whole has been pretty much non-existent. You know, we have been experiencing more tar spot uh, the last couple of seasons. We are seeing some in some very isolated areas. I cover the northern half of the central sands, which is irrigated ground. And I mean, we have some tar spot that's popped up here in the last two weeks. None of it has any yield influencing ability at this point for, for the amount of pressure that's there and where the crop mm. is staged at. Northern corn leaf blight, uh, gray leaf spot, you know, rust, all been pretty much non-existent in the crop in my geography. It's been a pretty clean year. But white mold has been, a you know, kind of the, the surprise I don't think we were expecting. And, you know, my thought process on why we're experiencing as much white mold as we are on the dry side is just look back you know going back to earlier in the conversation talking about that variable emergence in those soybeans and i think you know we just really had a really wide window of flowering that occurred in a lot of these fields and i think that drove a lot of that in some instances i think that rain we did get the end of july which was a fair amount and came 
came at pretty crystal times. So we are seeing white mold, best areas that got a little bit more rain there at the end of July, kind of flared that up. And the guys that got planned earlier, corn's clean outside the stock rot starting to set in with cannibalization that's happened in that crop. Um, soybean wise, we're also seeing some sudden death syndrome, especially in some of that end of April, first couple of days of May planting that we got in. Um, that's starting to crop up and becoming a bigger issue, um, which historically hasn't been an issue, but sudden death syndrome is becoming a bigger issue in my parts of the country. Where are you guys at on harvest progress at this point? I, for us, silage harvest started significantly later just because of the season that we had this year. Uh, but in terms of not only silage harvest, but grain harvest, where are you guys at in terms of progress? Over in my geography at this point, silage wise, we're pretty well on the home stretch here. I mean, we have a lot of growers that, as Ryan mentioned, that variability we were seeing, you know, so in some instances we had to start a little wet just to not let it get away from us. But that that kind of average or smaller size dairy, most of those guys already have bunkers covered up, you know, pi, you know piles are done. Um, we still have some larger producers that are chopping, but I would think by the time we hit this upcoming weekend, I think silage will be all but done for a lot of the area, maybe in early next week at the most. Um, as far as uh, soybean and uh, grain harvest, I think high moisture corn, I wouldn't be shocked to see some of that start rolling possibly here next week based on where we're seeing some of this earlier planted grain. But we still, we, these soybeans are still turning, you know, for guys that have to haul into the elevator and want a little drier corn, it, it's going to be, you know, probably early October on a lot of that, I would say. Ryan, much yeah. difference for you? Yeah, we're probably half done um, with corn silage. Uh, it's kind of variable depending on the ground. Uh, so you're being harvested. Uh, we got a few guys that are going to try some early beans planted early, uh, starting to try going this week. Uh, we'll see how those turn out. Um, but then the the draw does accelerate some stuff. I would guess there's probably, um, especially like dry land corners on irrigation field, probably could go this week, and the rest of the field is probably two weeks out. So I think that's going to be, uh, depending on if those guys go out and get it or just leave it to harvest the rest of the field, I think it's going to be variable. But we should be starting up. Um, they're talking rain for this weekend, so bean harvest should probably start up about next week for us. So, okay. you mentioned early beans planted early. What kind of maturity are we talking about, Ryan? And what kind of a planting date this year were those early beans? So, uh, planting date this year. Usually, we try to get planting probably around the twentieth, twenty first of, of April this year. It was about the last day of April to May first, May second. Um, we got some planted and we're talking uh, early group one oh nines to early group ones that are going to be going. But uh, for the majority of my area, we're probably an oh nine to two oh group uh, soybean are in my geography. All right, Mike, when you get up north where you've got those 75 day hybrids, 72 day hybrids, are you about the same, you know, the 0.9 or are you even bleeding a little bit earlier in that northern <laughs> geography? So the earliest we've ever had a grower plant, we did some double ones. Um, but historically, I mean, really kind of an O, like an O3 is about as early as we go. But as I get into the northern portion of the central sands and even south of me down in that Mauston region, we'll we'll dip into that two, three, even two, five region at some point. Okay. So once again, a pretty wide range on the soybean maturities as well. Yeah, I'm I tend to have a fairly wide window. I've got some growers that really like early beans. And so for a guy in central Indiana, I've been known to go from one nine to four oh, I think is the widest that I've ever done. I there's some 
uh, growers that I cover that really enjoy planting those early beans and they've been very successful with it. So, uh, Ben, I guess you had given us an harvest update a week ago. Where has progress gone in the week since? Yeah, it's been, it's been rather slow. Um, you know, corn, corn last week was pretty slow to dry here. I mean, we, we, on the good days, we lost half a point. So, you know, we just didn't have the heat and we are overcast some days, but you know, today's today, the sunshine and we've got a good breeze. It'll move a little bit. It seems, doesn't seem like anybody's in too big of a hurry unless they have down corn, um, a bunch of two, three to two, nine beans were cut last week. And were much better than what the growers expected. Um, you know, whole field, whole field averages, give or take a few bushels from 80, um, in, in many cases. So nothing, nothing disappointing so far. Um, I think that's the general comment I've heard is that everything has been better than what the growers were expecting when they get into it. Um, so, you know, the crop locally has been pretty beat up. We had the drought in June. We've had several wind events we had hail and, you know, so I, I, I'm not sure anybody really knew what they had on their hands when you start talking about whole fields. I think they were expecting a lot more issues, um, but we don't have the drowned out spots that we normally would have. So you get out there, even though it's beat up, the, the whole field average looks pretty good from a historical standpoint um, because it's it's complete where most years it would not be. But progress has been really, really much slower than kind of what I expected to the south of me. Guys are rolling pretty hard, but it's still, it's still, you know, 24, 25% corn and guys either, guys either have cheap propane or they don't. And so it's, sure. it's, it's staying in the field for a little bit longer. I, I do expect this week we'll see, we'll see people's um, patients run out quite mm-hmm. a bit. I don't, you know, and so, um, you know, our, our early bean premium has passed as well. So I, I think we'll see more people switch, switch over to corn, um, you know, there are a couple of couple of delivery points down here where you can get 30 to 80 cents, maybe even a dollar for new crop beans before September 15. So we had a push to get to that this year. There seemed to be more of it, um, more of those premiums out there. So some guys desiccated beans and, and pushed that. So I think the real harvest starts, you know, I think last week or two weeks ago, I said the 20th and uh, I'm going to stick with that for my estimate of when, when we okay. started in earnest. Yep. Carl, I guess I'm curious with uh, some of your sands and area that you've got, are you seeing much uh, harvest progress yet? Yeah, good question, Brian. It, it was uh, it was a treat to listen to uh, the Wisconsinites kind of give their, uh, their rendition of how the crop has looked this year. Mirrors a lot of my sentiments in Northwest Indiana. So, you know, I get into a little bit more lake effect type of growing environment. So, uh, in terms of the white mold comments, uh, what's left in the silage chop, um, you know, presence of stock rots, uh, impact of tar spot, all of those, uh, all those are very much in alignment. So those growers are listening and wondering if they care what what our friends up to the north have to say. Know that it is reflective of the uh, the northwest tier of counties there in um, in state of Indiana. To your question on harvest, though. Um, uh, let's see some uh, beans going in Lake County, just a few hundred acres at this point, uh, as we report on the Monday, uh, the 18th, as you said, um, those beans uh, straight from the horse's mouth. I don't know where the yields were coming from um, on some uh, 18 A73s there. So, uh, and then as you move 
south down in Montgomery County, where they historically, to Ben's point, have, uh, have been going after kind of an early harvest premium delivery opportunity. Um, some of the 19 um, A37s um, and the 18A73s down there have both been exceptional yields. I've heard uh, field averages uh, north of 80 bushels there. So, uh, uh, you know, just to the comments about um, being able to shift things a little bit earlier, uh, you know, leading that harvest window up a little bit, uh, it seems as that strategy has been paying dividends. Uh, nothing really to report back on corn, but just uh, silage sentiments as you correlate back that to, uh, to grain yields. Um, things are coming in, you know, north of 200 on ground that, uh, that historically is not produced above 200. So, um, really encouraging silage yields for uh, for a lot of the area, but uh, but um, I, I guess that would kind of conclude the the harvest report. As uh, you guys touched on last week in podcast about premature ear declination, um, tar spot being easier to find, uh, definitely seeing a difference in plant health as we've been doing our our product safaris, looking at different different hybrids uh, across the industry, ours versus uh, what what competitor germ plant some looks like and then also hearing some recommendations uh, from folks that represent different brands across the industry they're a little bit more concerned about the impact of, of uh, tar spot and late season standability to uh, Ben's point last week uh, to the point where they're recommending recommending uh, fungicides uh, as you're at mid-dent so definitely uh, definitely uh, I guess some some nervousness and angst out in the countryside there. As I've been taking a look at the crop, um, I'd say there, there's big differences uh, if you're in a pioneer acre versus uh, versus a different brand. So um, take that for what it's worth, but definitely would advise you to be scouting your fields. This is the perfect time of year to get an idea for uh, prioritizing that harvest order because there are on some of the sand pockets, we are giving up the ghost um, in terms of late season stock integrity. So uh, be mindful of that. Uh, we are fortunate, knock on wood, to not be in Southern Indiana situation with a severe wind event, but um, but but still, nevertheless, you, you got to determine which order to bring the crop in. And uh, that's something that's going to be important here in the, in the week ahead. Well, and I would echo that last scouting pass, if you will, Carl, I think a lot of times as agronomist, you know, the five of us certainly can recall times when we've been called in to try to do some kind of post-mortem on a field and a lot of times that's incredibly difficult you know whether it's at harvest or shortly after and i always like to recommend and one last scouting pass even when you feel like maybe uh it's a little bit late certainly harvest priority is a piece of that but you may catch something uh as things are starting to senesce that you had not caught that can help us as we sit down and start to plan uh, I think to Mike's comment about white mold, I think that that's going to be a big one for me. Um, I'm not going to see the variability on the eastern side of the state that you guys have spoken about up in Wisconsin this year in terms of yield. I mean, that extreme, I will certainly see variability. But even with our dry weather, it's not been as severe, in my opinion, as what you guys have experienced and our colleagues in Illinois have certainly reported as well. But that one last scouting pass can do a lot of things for us in terms of trying to uh, manage for 24 just to learn some things and be able to take a picture, you know, mental image, if you will, uh, to on what to manage as we move forward. So, so guys, I guess the, Brian, the other thing. Oh, go ahead, Carl. 
Well, I was just going to say the, the one thing that I think we've got a unique opportunity visiting with our uh, with our colleagues to the north, a big piece of uh, consternation in the planting decision whether or not to go on corn this year was it, it being cold. Um, and it was kind of within the realm of possibility in terms of calendar. We always encourage chase conditions, not calendar day. But I'd, I'd love to pick, uh, pick Gronsky and Bates' brain, and especially with Ryan working the impact side of things, Eau Claire, I know that's that's a site where we've done a lot of screening of our germplasm for cold stress. Uh, do you mind if we have a little bit of a, of a discussion on at what point do they shy away from putting the planter in the ground? Because at least on beans, it sounds like they're running just the same time as we are. But I think growers would benefit from a, a northern perspective there. Well, you read my mind. It was right here on my note sheet. That was actually something this morning as I was planning for the podcast that I wanted to have a conversation with these guys because uh, if they waited uh, and decided to plant when I make a lot of my planting recommendations, they would not be planting corn at all, or at least to Mike's point, it'd probably be closer to July when they got it done. And so, guys, I guess I'll start here. We have historically in Indiana uh recommended that you know no less than 50 degrees and we'd you know any good agronomist in east central Indiana is probably going to ask a guy to wait as long as they can uh but sometimes that calendar creeps up on us we know that you guys are planning in a much different temperature regime a lot of times so talk to us about how you guys recommend to growers to make those uh planning decisions early in the season is it temperature is it moisture is it a combination how how do we look at that or how do you guys look at that um knowing that we have historically been very concerned about going in too early because of emergence challenges so uh, ryan how do you start to do that and then to carl's point maybe mm -hmm. visit with us a little bit about your impact experience yeah um yeah we do push things up here versus what uh the agronomic handbook's going to tell you the plant um you know being at the eau claire research station i've had opportunities to walk our stress emergence testing locations multiple times and you know we do such a good job here at pioneer with our seed quality and what we let gets uh planted or end up on the farmer and the planter um our pst testing that we do and the quality we have behind it is so good and we've improved that so much in the last 15 20 years that gives us more confidence to go out there and not lose that stand and you can see you know when you walk those tests and they have you know this one uh was this for a pst score versus you know something that we actually sold as a pst score and, and you know they're planting that in you know second week in april up here first week in april usually i think usually around april 11th it gets snowed on it gets stressed out there and you go out there times and there's perfect stands out there so seeing that multiple uh years and, and knowing the team behind it that's that's uh, allowing their our high quality seed to go out gives us more confidence with our seed anyways to go in the ground i can't speak to what other companies are doing but you know we're looking for good field conditions that's the biggest thing we look at is is the field conditions right are we too wet is it um you know is the field working up right you know we do a fair amount of no-till up in my country as well so we're not only planting early we're planting no-till which tend to be cooler so you know we I would say we get to the last few days in April and we talk thermometers and, and soil thermometer doesn't come out that often. Um, we look more at field conditions. Typically we're gonna get a warm spell and uh, we need to get going. We know the advantage and we can take a little bit of a yield 
uh, stand hit in the end of April and still outperform something that gets planned Memorial weekend. Um, one thing we run into up here, I would say, is field size and the efficiency that we have to be able to plant the crop in a, in a hurry. Uh, we got guys adding planters and getting bigger planters and, and uh, the high speed planters. But our efficiency with some of our smaller field size limited how many acres we can get planted in a day. And so that kind of uh, spreads our probably planting window out um, for most operations compared to what you get in bigger fields. So we uh, necessity and, and the yield advantage is planting early. So Mike, I don't think anything to add on that. Yeah, just just a couple of things, Ryan. You know, so like in my geography on the soybean front, you know, we last couple of years, we've really gotten pretty aggressive. As long as that ground is working well, I'm not afraid to be sub 50 degrees. You know, if we've got a good seed bed that we can plant into and the weather looks reasonable down the stretch, we will certainly attempt to push beans in. Or if we're, you know, if, or if the other thing I would say is if we have ground working well and we see some cool rain coming in, you know, typically we'll plant beans over corn. That That's the one big trend that we've kind of headed down. Now on the corn front, kind of a mixed thing. I, I agree to, to Ryan's comment. You know, we've learned the last couple of seasons that if that ground's pretty fit, and, you know, maybe that temperature is borderline and you're just fluttering with 50 or a little bit under, you know, air, you know, if you've got some nice ground, some silt loam ground or, you know, something that you know, that's a little more reasonable, you know, I'm not afraid to start planting. And we had a few growers this year. We had a nice week of weather in mid-April and a couple of guys that went to start their planters up and it turned into 500 acre escapades before we got back to cold rain. They shut those planters down, you know, day, two days before that cold rain. You know, we had 98, 99% of the stand. I mean, you really can, once again, back to Ryan's comment, I mean, you, you can't lose there. The biggest thing that I'm fearful of when we plant early is cold sand. You know, when I get into that central yeah. sands and we have these low OM soils, you know, if, if, if we're already borderline temperature wise and there's a lot of variation as far as highs and lows, that's where I get scared. Now, once again, I feel like our product lineup and how we test for it, we, we really do tend to persevere better or essentially look better than everything that the competition typically brings out. But I'm still a little cautious there because I've, I've watched some pretty good stuff go backwards in a hurry on that cold sand. Well, I guess to that point, Mike, you know, one of the things that we talk about a great deal down here when we're talking about these early plantings is this idea of, you know, uh, chilling injury. So corkscrewing some of those kind of things. It describe to me what you see when you see injury or you have concerns on those sands describe to us what the symptomology is is it emergence or is it just poor vigor talk talk to us about what you see in those environments i would say it's kind of a combination of those things brian you know we'll see corkscrewing we'll see uh, ruptured coleoptiles as well um we'll also see just variation in that emergence so now we have even the plants that do make it out of the ground they're not consistent there i mean it and that being said i mean if you're planting something that has you know good a good emergence score so, and i mean typically it's not as pronounced but you know you really if you're really trying to push the envelope early you'd need to look at you know what the product is that you have have that discussion with your agronomist you know, if you're going to push, know what you have and where you should start. I'd like to just add one more comment on the planting early too is, you know, just because we plant early doesn't mean it's coming out of the ground early. Um, you know, we, we can have stuff sit in the ground for close to a month or a month. Um, there's been years that there's been stuff planted that sit in the ground for a month. So um, that makes a 
big difference in that seat quality as well. But yeah, that sand ground definitely gives you a hesitation on how much you plant it. The good thing about sand ground is, you know, you can get a half inch of rain and be planting that pretty quick. So you're a little bit more uh, ability to slow down a little bit, not push that as much, worry about the rain coming, that we're able to get that in. So it is more of a cautious uh, environment that we do hold back on the, the sands probably a little bit more than we do on the, the heavier ground because of, of the shock and the um, stress that we can put out there with the temperature swings. And a lot of that sand ground ends up getting worked, so it's even bigger swings. So are you guys waiting on temperature or are you typically waiting on moisture levels in order to pull the the trigger to let a grower go to the field uh, you know a lot of times in my geography it's as much about moisture level in the soil and plantability can you know the conditions that we're going to plant into as it is temperature are, are you guys the opposite or does it really depend on soil type and geography for you I would say like over in my area, soil fitness is where it's at. You know, if we have reasonable soil, you know, if we've got that soil at a reasonable moisture level and it's working up nice, we tend to be pretty aggressive minus, minus the sands. You know, those guys are pretty calendar based sure. and temperature based, but otherwise if you get on some of these, you know, I have such a mix of soils. We have some ground that's, that's pretty tough. And if it, if it's fit and working nice, we're gonna roll the dice and try and get across it because it, it could be a month before you could get back to it. So if okay. it, you know if you do some digging with your trawl and that and that ground is nice and friable as you work it between your thumb and index finger, yeah, we'll we'll likely pull the pin if it's a reasonable planting date. Okay. You know we right. we we don't get crazy though. I mean if the soil temperature is hovering at thirty eight degrees, you know first thing in the morning, we're not we're not pushing it that sure. crazy. I I wouldn't throw that out there and think that we're planting into you know the frozen tundra. Uh, you know, we, we do take uh, temperature and consideration um, with that, but it's definitely field fitness uh, drives a bigger, um, bigger piece of that conversation. Our neck of the woods, when, uh, especially as we get in that last week in April, my country, if, if things are fit and, um, you know, I think some of that it, corn plants probably maybe pushed up and pushed in a little bit tougher conditions as we plant soybeans into even tougher conditions. My saying is if you don't feel comfortable planting corn with the conditions, um, go plant soybeans. And we've done that the past few years and guys have really liked the benefit. You know, we're seeing probably on the average five bushels increase of, of planting those beans earlier and the stand comes up. Um, and I think that's kind of pushed things on the corn side a little bit more too. Okay. Well, and certainly I think I can speak for Ben and Carl. The three of us have mentioned this on the podcast before. We probably were perhaps a little too conservative this spring, at least at the moment it looks that way. I I, I will speak, I will say that for myself at least. Maybe I shouldn't speak for Ben and Carl in that regard, but uh, you guys have got a different perspective because as I said, if we waited uh, or if you waited as long as we would try to hold folks off you guys would be planting incredibly yeah. late just because of temperature and moisture level so the, well the, guys oh go not, ahead Ryan. Not, the other thing um always watching and in our know will help a little bit that crusting we probably have more issues with crusting um affecting stands and uneven stands uh on corn than we actually do with um stands being reduced to the point to replant um because of the weather or because yeah. of the the cold temperatures and stress emergence 
Yeah. I remember early on in my career at one point having a conversation with some agronomists out West and I was talking about having to use a craftsman screwdriver to dig plants up. And they looked at me like I had lost my mind and I crusting is always the, the biggest issue. You can't use a pocket knife certain years because you'll just break them off. So you resort to the screwdriver to try to get <laughs> through the crust. So. Well, guys, I guess, you know, one of the reasons we've got you on besides the, you know, learning a little bit more about what you guys do for us in Wisconsin is to talk about this Wisconsin-Purdue football game, uh, a Friday night game, a uh, little bit unusual for Big Ten football, although probably with having, what, 20 teams in the Big Ten now, we're probably going to see more Friday night football games, I suppose, as we move forward. I Tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, Badger football looks like for 2023 before we uh, get a prediction from either of you. Well, I just say I I think we're trying to figure out that identity under the new coach. You know, I, you look at the past two games, uh, we haven't been that dominant defense and the run game isn't a uh, necessary calling card. So we're still trying to figure that out. Um, you know, the transfer, new head coach and the transfer portal really helped us on the offensive side, and we should have some offensive firepower. I'm just waiting for that to fully come unleashed and, and light up the scoreboard. So the typical uh, run it with Allen uh, isn't going to be maybe as much DMO as we're going to be um, throwing the ball around a little bit more. But on the defensive side, we got some things to figure out. But you know, we, we can get some interceptions and turnovers. We'll win that game uh, so far this year. You know, you know, my thoughts for what it's worth, I think, you know, like Ryan said, we have a team looking for their identity. And I think the hard part is I think we, I, I'm pretty excited about this coaching staff that's here. I think part of the challenge he's facing, though, he still has some existing players there that ran under a very different system and trying to to make everything work together or find, you know, he, he has a vision for what this team's going to be, you know, next year, two years from now, as he gets his personnel in all these places. But he still has a lot of old personnel that he needs to work through here in the short term. So I, I look at Badger football and I feel like it's going to be the, like the Wisconsin crop this year, and it's going to be highly variable and all over the board with some disappointment in between. Now, guys, I, I have to say I don't follow Badger football, but as your new head coach, is he from the Barry Alvarez tree or is he uh, completely off the reservation, if you will? He is not part of the, to my understanding, part of the Alvarez tree at all. So this is something very new to Wisconsin football that we haven't really done a lot with. So this is, I, I, he's got a nice, re, you know, he's got a good resume. It looks like he's he's done some good things in his previous role. Um, maybe change is good. You know, we always seem to put together a good team, but never one that's, you know, playing for a national title. Maybe Maybe this can get us over the hump somewhere down the road. All right. Well, here, here's where I guess the rubber meets the road. Mike, give us your uh, prediction for a score on Friday night. Oh, I think it'll be close either way. Um, I still think the bat, there's enough history there of beating the Boilermakers. I think we'll, we'll somehow still get the win. I, you know, probably a 27, 24 type thing. I don't, I don't think it'll be too crazy. Okay. Ryan, how about you? Yeah. I, I hate to think that we're going to hit, break that 16 game win streak uh this year uh even though with the question marks that i i mentioned so i i think the badgers are coming out uh with a w and i think it's gonna be um like a 28 17 game all right 
Carl, I guess we'll ask you for your uh, take on things as the uh, Purdue football expert on the podcast. What's your prediction and your thought after watching the Boilers play a few games now? Yeah, appreciate the the opportunity to indulge the conversation, Brian. Uh, yeah, if, if memory serves to, to, to Bates' point, I think uh, Boilermakers haven't beat the Badgers in ross Aide since 99. A strong start to the year. Um, you know, drop the first game, win the second game. Uh, play really clean football, though, up until last weekend. And uh, we had no turnover the first, first two weeks. And boy, did we bring up the average with, uh, with our performance here. Um, so it's unfortunate uh, that, that couldn't pull out a win uh, versus Syracuse to repay the favor last week. Um, but but that's, uh, that's how it goes sometimes. So I'm expecting uh, Purdue to maybe get their, uh, their act together in terms of getting over the challenges we've had on third and short, maybe string some drives together, correct the, uh, correct the trend that we've got in terms of uh, not holding on to the football um once you cross the uh the midfield line so i'm hoping hudson card can uh can lead us to an admirable performance but i'm gonna have the badgers uh continuing that winning streak versus the boilermakers uh their favor 30 to 24 though i think we'll make it respectable um here on a friday evening all right carl ben what's your thoughts there on the purdue versus wisconsin on friday night well obviously they're not as in depth as um as Carl's because I would struggle to name a couple of players, but since I picked Purdue to lose last week, um, I did actually get some crap talked about that. So maybe I'll get back in my lane and we're rightfully gonna, so Yeah, right. We're going to, so. it's well, it's at home, you know, we're going to, we're going to write this ship. Um, I'm going to say do Purdue. 30, 38, 35. All Big right. game. Well, okay. And as a student at Purdue University, I always felt like now this is going to date me a little bit. You know, before the lights, they'd, you guys probably don't remember this, but they used to bring in big light carts and put them on the street and put them over. And so as a student, I was fond of uh, night Purdue games. And so a, a Friday evening game for me is kind of an exciting thing. And uh, I actually was going to go with Mike's score, except reversed. I'm going 27-24 Boilers, and I think the Boilers will show up because it's a night game, and it's you know going to be a nice fall evening and just really good for college football. So that's my uh, prediction anyway. So, Ben, anything else that uh, we need to talk to the guys uh, from Wisconsin here about that we haven't hit on yet? No, I, I appreciate them coming on. I appreciate their inside around some uh, colder planting conditions. I do, I do want to reiterate to folks who you know may have may have only listened to part of it that that planting cold if soil conditions are are good, right? Let's so I don't want anybody to have that takeaway that we're going to go out and slime something in the ground in forty five degree soil and and expect good results out of that. So that that's definitely not going to work. But appreciate both of you coming on and and interesting to get your insights as well. Yep, definitely. And I think the key thing here, Ben, I I hope our listeners recognize. You know, we have a lot of guests on 
from throughout the organization. That's really one of the benefits that I see both for you and I as agronomists, but for our customers as well, as we can tap into these guys that uh, are all over the country that do things just a little bit different and learn from that to improve our practices here in Indiana. And so certainly appreciate Mike and Ryan both sharing that insight with us. So so guys, you know, if somebody heard something or is interested in maybe picking your brain or hearing about what's going on in your geography, uh, is there a way that they can reach out to you or maybe follow along with what's going on? Uh, Ryan, anything you could do to to help somebody uh, where they could find your information? Yeah, um, so on, on social media, whether it's X, uh, formerly Twitter, uh, it's at RTB175. Um, they can reach out to me uh, through that um, platform is probably common um, as well as um, yeah, always got phone call um, text message people can look me up online all right no problem Mike how about yourself yeah so same thing on x formerly known as Twitter you can find me at Mike Gronsky um, if you want to reach out uh, email or or phone call is always good too all right great and Ben if somebody heard something they want to get a hold of you how can they do that yeah, you can find me on the same spot at um, at the Ben Jacob on Twitter and Facebook at Ben Jacob Agronomy. All right, and Carl, how can folks get a hold of you? Yeah, I guess we gotta we gotta update the nomenclature to our clothes here on X. You can find me uh, at C Jorn on Facebook. Uh, that'd be C Jorn Agronomy. And I uh, just want to say thanks to uh, to Ryan and Mike. It was fun uh, from from uh, this guy whose family has ties, uh, Ryan knows this, but back to the Eau Claire lacrosse area, that's where uh, mom's side of the family farm uh, background comes in as dairy farmers. And then, uh, yeah, my folks would have met in Marshfield, Wisconsin, where Gronsky's at, where the old Jordan family restaurant would have been. So uh, definitely a lot of uh, lot of good ties to uh, to the Wisconsin area and um, appreciative of, of, uh, of them coming on and sharing their insights today. Absolutely. I echo that. I appreciate you guys being on today and uh, being able to uh, educate us on all things Wisconsin agriculture and maybe just a little bit of Wisconsin football, too. So uh, you can always uh, find me on Instagram at B underscore K underscore Schrader. And so with that, uh, again, we thank uh, Mike and Ryan for joining us today and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you next time on the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.